I think we should question everything. I think we should question any idea, any any belief. And that often involves thinking some things, you know, you might be just lying there, daydreaming, thinking about something, and then suddenly you catch yourself thinking the most terrible thoughts. Right. That might be just me. I might have just no, I think confessed that's, to something. I, I think that's a really, pretty common really human experience. Yeah, like, you know, and you I know. think the, the fact that everybody, I think, the problem, I think there's a big problem with the fact that people, uh, they think if they have a terrible thought, they sort of obsess about how terrible mm-hmm. that was, and actually, we all just have terrible thoughts that run yeah, through our I heads. I think so. That's what brains don't do. act on those terrible right, thoughts. Exactly. Perhaps don't voice them to any other human exactly. beings, those and are both you'll be all right. Reasonable right? approaches. That's like, exactly. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better, better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Neil Denny. Hello, Neil. Hello, Dave. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? How do I know you? Um, well, it depends in what sense you mean by know you, and that's, that's not as, that's not as <laughs> filthy as it sounds. Yeah. I was a fan of your podcast and your work for a considerable amount of time before I met you. We have mutual friends who introduced me to your to your show, this show that we're talking on now. And so I listened to your show for probably a year before we actually met, and then we met wow. for the first time. At the, did you not know that? I knew you'd listened to it a bit, but I didn't know it was like a year. Of yeah, I think about a year. And then, um, and of course, you know, as is the case with, with podcasts as well, you know, just start listening from a point and then carry on listening. You have to go back and listen to, to everything. So I think I've probably listened to most of them wow. over the past year or so. And um, and then we met. We met at um, a Residence FM programme makers meeting. That's right. I was in a right state that night. I can remember <laughs> noticing you over the other side of the room and you were a bit frantic. Yeah, right. You, you And it was quite obvious you were a bit frantic. I I'm not good at hiding it. I and wish I, I was. I did think, you know how you do, and I say it in these strong terms because of what, what transpired later. Yeah. But I did think, oh, God, who's that arsehole over there being all frantic right. in the corner? And then we spoke, and I realised who you were, and then we spent a bit of time chatting, and yeah. I immediately thought you were a really great guy, really lovely, <laughs> and felt really bad about it. And that's something I do quite a lot, is immediately immediately judge someone (laughs) for a little bit of behaviour, and then they always turn out to be really lovely. Well, that's nice. I mean, it is. It is. Yeah, I was. I was in a sort of yeah stressed out state, anxiety-ridden state, which is the last place you want to be when you're meeting a load of colleagues who yeah. you've never met before for the first time. And right? especially so in that sort of situation where we there, there was some sort of I don't know. You know, we were all being told what to do basically, yeah, given jobs. It was and a kind of like that. Yeah. It was it was the pledge drive meeting yeah, from Residence FM where we're. Your show, Little Atoms, and also getting better acquainted sometimes here and there goes out over Resonance FM. And so it was all about how are we going to make money? And that's a question that would fill me with anxiety even if I hadn't had a really anxious uh, day beforehand. Yeah, so that was kind of like, ah, I'm trying to make money for my other projects and now this other thing wants me to make money for it. And uh. It's also one of those weird situations where everyone in the room is volunteers everybody in the room does the thing because they love it right and then every now and then you get you're in those weird situations where 
again, and it's not, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do to raise money for Residence FM. I love the organisation. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and I wouldn't have a radio show if it wasn't for them. But it's 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 funny to be in the situation where you are then like, it's a job because yeah. somebody's saying, right, you have to do this thing. Right. And, and everybody's trying to, you know, all of these people are in the room that you don't know, but you're having to sort of meet and get on with because you've got to work together. And there was this sort of interesting idea this year not sure how it went in the end, where we were all supposed to be in teams raising yeah, money. Right. But I think what always happens is everybody ends up doing their own individual thing anyway. Yeah, and the you know the people who were always going to do stuff, yeah, do stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it, it, well, it was a sort of it's a familiar situation to me as well because it's like it's one of the things that you do when you're in the independent arts mm. is that you have to kind of. You have to team up with other people who are also in the independent arts. Yeah. And how that works is a complicated sort of interaction. Like, I, I do stuff with the Free Fringe in Edinburgh, and it's the same thing. You've got somebody who has to, through necessity, be bossy. Mm-hmm. And you've got a room full of people who are, uh, through inclination, not inclined to relate to bossiness. Yeah. And so it's a really kind of uh, complicated situation. And you do need someone to be taking control Absolutely of the situation. Absolutely, yeah. I understand but you do that. resent them at the same time, right? And I am, I am sometimes that person as well mm. who takes control of the situations, and so I sort of see it from both sides and try not to. I'm in that situation a lot. Like I try not to see being a promoter. Like I now am a bit of a promoter, right? Mm-hmm. I used to only ever be an artist, so I used yeah. to hate promoters, and now I'm trying to sort of like see a way for promoters and artists to come together and. Well, stop that's it. Being does your experience of seeing arsehole promoters make you be a better promoter? Uh, hopefully hopefully and maybe my experience of seeing and uh, if you think this is about you it probably isn't but of seeing arsehole artists hopefully mm-hmm. makes me a better artist yeah. as well like less of an arsehole as an artist because mm-hmm. uh, there's certainly plenty of like uh, problematic behaviours that artists have as you know as much as promoters I think but anyway yeah that's how we met and uh, we, we've met a few times since then as well mm-hmm. we sort of met at Sparkland and you did yeah. a, you did a you were a guest on our podcast and uh, live show, so that was great. We we had a nice conversation on a, on the tube coming back. Yes, yeah, so I think we've done that a couple of times. Yeah. The other question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? So I do Little Atoms, which is this radio show, which has sort of been about a lot of things really, but always about books. So it's a show about books, which is an hour-long interview with an author, generally, and. That's on Resonance FM, as you said, but also a podcast. Yeah, it's a great show, by the way, as well. I mean, I listen to your show too. It's kind of you to say. And we also do, or I say we, because there used to be more than than one of us presenter. It's been me for nearly two years now, but I still say we. I also do sort of live events related to Little Atom, so live interviews, panel discussions, that sort of thing. And I think most, the thing that I'm most into recently is, you've already mentioned me doing Spark London um, and in the past two or three months I've done like in quick succession quite a few similar things that's right you did Geek Show Off yeah so I did you? Geek Show Off and I did um, Spark London and I did um, Izzy Lawrence's Z List Dead List which I'm also doing again in August um, and all three of those things I absolutely loved they're all different I did a different thing each one I've had a really great time at them and they all went really well so now I want to do more of that sort of thing. Yeah. And and I'm sure, I don't know when you're going to broadcast this, but it will probably have happened, so it might have been a disaster, I don't know. But this Friday, 
I'm doing a nearly an hour version of that stuff at the Winchester Science Festival, Ooh. which I haven't finished writing yet. Well, I'm, I'm afraid this definitely won't come out in yeah. time to, to promote that. Well, it's but, not uh, about that. It's more me people... saying it, it'll be the, um, the, <laughs> the pathos of me going, oh, I'm so excited. I really want to do this. It's gone really, really well. And it's really, really great. And then my, my long show might not work. I don't know yet, but yeah. that's the exciting thing about it. Well, that's great. I mean, that's really exciting. Uh, I should explain that we're in my back, we're in my back garden, uh, which is what you might hear in the background. And the umbrella, it seems, makes a kind of interesting. Cre- uh, it's quite plaintive. It makes an interesting sound when the wind blows it round. So I want to explain to the listeners what that is. I don't know how audible that it's is not without the headphones on. So yeah, little atoms. I mean, when that started out, it wasn't. It wasn't just a books program though was it i mean it sort of started with slightly different intentions did it 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 sort of had a vague yeah it had a vague theme which was to do with the enlightenment which was sort of vague enough that meant it could be about pretty much anything we wanted to be but it was always based around the book because that was just easier to do so it was always an interview show so if you're going to interview a guest and I'm talking to you now on a podcast where you talk to people about their lives, yeah, right? So right. you will know, I don't know how much research you do, but if you're talking to somebody, you won't be talking to somebody about their personal life, you would be talking to somebody about, say, their academic life or someone. Right. So a writer, you know, a writer or an academic. And it's easier to talk to a person about one book that's just out than it is to talk to an author about their entire body of work. Right. Because the important thing, which I sort of did accidentally from the beginning, but now it's... A, a a sort of major selling point of the show is that I, I it never occurred to me that you couldn't read a person's book before you talk to them. Right. And people are constantly surprised that, that I I always try and make my best effort to read the books. So it's easier to read one book than it is to read nine books. If you're going to interview somebody about their whole career and I and carrying on with that philosophy, then I've got to read nine or ten books, right. so, which is not something that you can do because the show is weekly. So, so yeah, so we had this, it had a vague idea behind it. And then over the years, it became more about popular science. And then it's been about various sort of freedom of speechy type things, depending on who, because all the, all the other, so there was um, Padre Greedy, who was working at Index on Censorship at the time, was one of the co-hosts. Um, Becky Hogg, who used to work for um, the Open Rights Group and, and organisations like that. Um, Rebecca Watson, the... Um, notorious famous yeah, american skeptic. skeptic yeah skeptic exactly was was a host of it for a while so each of those people bought their own interest to it and, and mine at the time was sort of popular science and then especially in the last couple of years since i've, I've been doing the show on my own i've tried to make it just more about a wider variety of things just because it, you have to do that to keep it interesting right right because yeah Exactly, so you, you've been doing one subject for a long time and mm-hmm. you definitely want to get other things coming in, for sure. Yeah, because one key thing about... The other key thing about the show is I only interview people... I, I, I look for books that I want to read and then those are the people that I interview. So I only interview people that I'm interested in and my interests have changed over the years, gradually. Or, as you said, if you read too much of one thing, you, you get fed up and, and you want to do something else. And also that means because... As I said, we're all we're volunteers doing this, you know, and I don't want to be reading something I don't particularly want to spend my time reading to then have an antagonistic argument with somebody about it. You right, know? right. That seems to be a, a waste of my time when I could be reading something pleasurable. And 
I can't. I don't know where this chain of thought is going. I, I mean, think I might have gone off on a tangent. Well, I think well, it's it's going where it goes. But the but the I guess what I was thinking then is like, so I guess one of the things you're looking to do in Little Atoms, a little bit like what I try to do in my show in a different way, is to have kind of constructive conversation, yeah, rather than destructive or confl- conflicting conversation. And people sort of quite often, a few of my friends are like, you know, you. You should be more hardline in your in your you know they want a hardline interview sort yeah. of stuff where I try and like catch people out or call them on things I think are wrong with yeah. them or that they or that my friends think are wrong with them, and I and I, I won't do that. That's not really what I want the show to be. And it seems like Little Atoms in a way is a similar sort. Yeah, of Yeah, very similar because I I don't like that confrontational sort of news night type questioning line because it's very. There's just something very macho about it from yeah, the start, yeah. which I find unpleasant. All it means is, and, and to be fair, the, the context isn't the same because I'm doing a show about about books and about writers generally. Um, I'm not interviewing politicians ever. Right? I'm not interviewing politicians who are, you know, lying bastards who have got something to hide. So that's not necessarily the issue. But even if it's somebody that I might disagree with. I think it's more interesting to say, well, just lay out what you believe, basically. Tell us the things that that you're interested in and you believe. And we can talk about those things. And I think people who are listening are clever enough to to figure out whether I think that's bullshit or not. Exactly. But also, I think people are more open if you approach them in... In friendliness, I think you know. Look at you know, politicians are all media trained, right? So all they do, through all of those famous Jeremy Paxman interviews, are are basically just gladiatorial. Him asking the same question over over and over again, and the person yeah. repeatedly not answering that question. You find out who had the best media training, the yeah. presenter or the politician, but you and don't really. It sort find of out doesn't help else. anybody, does right. it? And I think that's one of the one of the reasons, one of the many, many, many reasons, probably a minor one, for the disenchantment of politics of people over the last few years as well. So I always wanted to avoid that. But also, I'm not like that. I'm not particularly confrontational. No. You know, I, I would rather not be in that situation right. where I was having an argument anyway. And as I said again, I'll always keep repeating back the idea that I do this for fun. Right. Right. And the minute it stops being fun, that's when I'll stop doing it. Yeah, because that's the thing. You you are someone you you you're in the media. You can't you know that you because you make media, mm-hmm. but you you have a day job, right? And what you do in the media is your hobby. Your in yeah. a way, right? Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah, use? yeah. It is. I mean, it's it's like a part-time job that I don't get paid for, right, really. Right. And then, of course, that's complicated by subsequently doing the other extracurricular stuff, which I am getting paid for. Right. So I've started to earn a little bit of, not a significant amount of money, but certainly more money than nothing from that. But ultimately, yeah, the thing... And Little Atoms is, you know, it's it has a lot of listeners, a lot of followers. It's very well regarded. It's very well regarded in the media and amongst the people that are on the show. So writers really want to be on it and a lot of writers listen to it. Yeah. So those are those are those are obviously really good things. But ultimately, yeah, ultimately if that's if I'm in the media, if that's the thing I'm well known for, the ironic thing is that I don't get a penny for that thing that I'm the most well right, known right. for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I have a similar thing at a slightly different level, but the same <laughs> the same principle that people know me for the thing that doesn't make yeah. any money for me. In fact, in the case of stand-up tragedy, people know me for the thing that actively loses me money. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, like, so what is your day job? 
I work for a communications company and do a sort of like IT web design database management job that is nothing whatsoever to do with what I do outside in terms you know the two things are not in any way connected and I almost by accident have just kept the two worlds very much apart keep them sort of compartmentalized in that not many people that I work with even know not a lot of people that I have colleagues or people that I have to talk to at work don't even know that I have this other sort of secret life right basically which started off initially just because just for expedience at the beginning because when we first started it I, I, it was at 4.30 and I had to sneak out of work early to go and do the recordings and um, and I thought it wasn't going to last very long when we first started the show we were given six shows to do right as, 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 often as does, is the case right? yeah. yeah and then literally they never told us to stop so we just we, we carried on and in fact apart from enforced ones because they've had them We've never had a break. I've never had a break from it in nine years. Um, whereas a lot of resonance shows do. You know, they, 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 there's very few shows that have, that have had that longevity. Um, so, yeah, so I have a day job. And, and that's also this, a, a sort of situation where, you know, my job is perfectly tolerable. I don't enjoy it, but it's fine. And it pays me a decent wage. And I have a house, right? So right. I've got a mortgage to pay. And various normal debts that anybody of my age has these days in this financial climate. So I need money, right? So I'm sort of in that trap where I would quit my job and go and do something Little Atoms related for money tomorrow if I had the opportunity to do so. But a lot of opportunities that do come along and have come along just aren't really feasible anyway because they wouldn't wouldn't pay enough or they wouldn't be. So... So it's it's sort of nice to have a job that's it doesn't interfere with my actual life. It's also very, very nine to five as well. So, you know, I have my outside of work life, which is little atoms, and I have my normal day job life, which is which is my day job. <laughs> and the two things do not cross over at all. And that's that's quite that's quite nice. Yeah, that's an it's an interesting position to be in. I mean, I've certainly done. I've had periods of my life where I've done that, mm-hmm. where I've kept my extracurricular life out away from work. Like I haven't told people that I'm in bands or any of the yeah. things I've done. I mean, as the years have gone on, I've actually found like I found it harder to keep those segregated. And in fact, I've I've, I've in my last by the end of you know by the last job I had before I went freelance, I, it was all out in the open. Everybody knew. Yeah. And I felt I don't know if I, I don't know if which one I prefer. Like looking back, because there is something liberating about being yourself and always being able to express yourself, whatever you sort of feel, uh, and and not be sort of having people go, oh, I didn't know you were like that. Um, but it, it also it's it's nice to have people not know everything about you and your job. I, I definitely relate to that. Yeah, I, I do like I like the idea of having a sort of secret life. Yeah, I really do. That's really appealing to me. <laughs> but it can be like it can be really weird sometimes in yeah. that you know I'll be at some party do you know what I mean the night before when they'll be like you know I'll be talking to some you know celebrity or right. something and having a really amazing time and then the next day you know something goes wrong at work and I 
get a bollocking or something. And I want to say, you know, do you know, do you know who, who I am? There, <laughs> you talk to me like that. No, I don't mean it like that. But, but yeah, but it's weird, and, and that, there's often those sort of weird conjunctions of just like mundanity, just normal life, coming back in to sort of interrupt the fact that you know I was. You know, drinking champagne at some award ceremony yeah. the night before, or some some sort of book book launch, or something like that. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's I've had moments like yeah. that as well. When I <clears throat> when I was nominated for a Sony Award up against mm-hmm. our mutual friend Helen, actually, that's I think the first time I, I'm I think I'm, I didn't even meet her that night. I was too scared <laughs> to speak to her. But uh, uh, when I went to that uh, Sony Awards, the, uh, the 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 next day, I sort of woke. I had to get up at six and mm-hmm. go and do uh, under fives activities with these kids, and I, I just was thinking like last night I was in this swanky place with like all of these celebrities around me, and here I am now uh, trying to. And you know, it's, it does have there's a strange connect, uh, but it keeps you grounded, I think, yeah. as well, right? It keeps yeah, you grounded. It means yeah, that you don't so. go, oh, I'm a celebrity now. I can, I can, you know, get too into that idea. Yeah. It's, that's quite nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that because I, you know, this does sound nice and fun thing to talk about here, but I am wondering what people listening to this are going to be thinking of us right now. Well, yeah, no, but that's always the question, isn't it? I mean, that's I spend my life wondering that whether, whether I'm on mic or not. But you know, it's it. Everybody's. Uh, I think I'm a big believer, as you probably know, that everybody's experience is interesting, and mm-hmm. you know, this is your experience. One of the things that you did as part of Little Atoms was you sort of did a, a, a road trip. Uh, yeah, and that's that. That must have been amazing. I mean, yeah, that was. I mean, that's again a really extreme example of just like something completely out of normal life, really. So, so I got a travel grant from an organisation. There's this thing called the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust, which they're a brilliant little organisation. Nobody's ever heard of them. I did. I, after I did the trip, I did this tour of talks about the trip around like various organizations like skeptics in the pub and that sort of thing and um and you know i'd always say the whole point of the thing was really to plug the the churchill trust and i'd say you know who has heard of them and i have a room of like 50 people like one person might put their hand up but they're great they give out every year about i think it's about 120 130 travel grants i think of about up to eight or ten thousand pounds and just to normal people just to anybody, basically, who comes up with a good enough idea. So um, anybody can apply for it. And so it's not like academics and things, it's, you know, it, it's what I mean, it's like working people. And you have to have some idea and you're supposed to come back, you're supposed to go away on on your travels, get some sort of personal growth, learn something new that you can come back and share with your work colleagues. But my pitch basically said, I have this radio show. I'd like to go to America and interview lots of people in the in my radio show type way, um, and my group of colleagues is basically my radio audience. So I have an audience of people of scientists and and writers and things who will hear that material. And that was sort of I think it was a bit more complicated than that, but that was the idea. Yeah, so I went to America for a month, twenty eight days, drove six thousand six hundred miles um, with my brother in law in tow for the first two and a half weeks, and um, to help out with most of the driving. And, um, yeah, interviewed, I think, 38 people in 28 days. Wow. It was insane. Like, absolutely, just, like, the whole 28 days was devoted to just, like, relentlessly researching, going out, doing videos. I also, I wrote blogs for The Guardian while I was away. It's like, stop, like, 
gave myself really stupid things to do. So rather also rather than say I'm going to stop little atoms for four weeks while I'm away, had a, a, a podcast to deliver every week as well. Jeez. So I started posting some of the ones I was doing on the trip. So the first four, the first four interviews from the American trip were posted while I was away. So I had to do that. So each week I had to do one of those. I had to write an article for the Guardian. I had to research. I had to keep doing sometimes four hour long interviews a day with people and then drive a hundred miles in between them. And it was it was amazing. It was just like you you couldn't do that for more. You know, it was like you had a nervous breakdown at the end. Right, of it. it's an endurance Nearly, test. it was like yeah, it yeah. was like a like a, a ridiculous thing. I'm never going to get this opportunity in this sort of way again. Was my thinking. So I've got to throw myself into it, and I worked. I worked like an absolute demon for for 28 days. In the whole of the 28 days, I had two days off that were devoted to nothing but actually going and doing a bit of sightseeing and one of those was the day after we got there to, to basically acclimatise right. so really in the in the month I had I had one day off to just go and do some some sort of touristy sightseeing and like yeah my brother-in-law would go off and his, his, he holiday. was there yeah, he, he was he, was, he yeah. would go off and you know go off and visit places and then come back and with all these amazing stories about what he'd done and I, I'd have basically have spent the day in the hotel room researching three interviews <laughs> And so you sort of like you travelled across like space and like you know across the country. Yeah. And you, but at the same time, you're travelling sort of very, very internalised. Kind of, you're, you're doing a lot of thinking, right? You're mm-hmm. doing a lot of research. You're doing a lot of interviews. I mean, that's that's an interest. Like, it's an interesting combination of things to be doing. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to put it. But I think the second part of that, I was too busy to really notice and internalise that. I think at the time. The first part, definitely, because I love travelling anyway, and I really like America, and I really like travelling in America. And so I'd always, I'd never done a, we'd, I had done a sort of a, like a fly drive holiday type thing in the past, but never a proper long distance road trip. And that thing of, you know, even in the same, even in like one four hour journey, driving through the deserts in Arizona, yeah. you go through four or five different types of desert. You know what I mean? So constantly, as you're driving along from state to state, you are travelling through space, but right. also going... It's really obvious that you're going to a different place. Yeah. It's obvious that... You know, we talk about, you know, America, 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 as, as if it's one, one thing. thing. Yeah. But it's not even 50 different right, countries. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's much... Many more... Li- different little principalities than that really you know it changes and you see it in like really weird ways in um i don't know the laws i never i never looked it up but one that really is vividly in my mind i think it was i don't know if it would be oklahoma but certainly it was missouri the state that we were going into missouri obviously has a lot of a lot laxer laws on sex shops so right. for the hundred miles to to the Missouri border, whatever state we were in, and it was I think it might have been Oklahoma. I have to look at a map, but it was a state that you would imagine would have a lot stricter attitude to that sort of thing. There are all these billboards saying border hundred miles, sex shops coming soon, like literally. <laughs> and then as soon as you got to the border, there was like like almost like a, a Las Vegas casino sort of type, like a huge area of about fifty sex shops, right. and then all the way through through the state 
there were sex shops on the side of the road, like petrol stations and things. Right. And then you go over the border into the next state. And I think we only drove through the state for two hours and crossed over the border to the next place. And that ended. Right? Right. It was just that one place. Yeah, yeah. And things like that are really, like, really weird and yeah. noticeable. And you think, well, that's it. I'd like to know the backstory of why of, that, of why that happens to be. Because there's nothing, right. about, there's nothing obvious about the place itself that means that it wasn't like you know san francisco or new york or something it was some like weird mid mid american mid american state yeah this is the uh, the, the the one disadvantage about recording in the in the in the garden We've got a helicopter and an aeroplane at the same time there the double a double whammy now the, the, the aeroplanes are to be expected because we're relatively near um really relatively near Stansted, but uh the, the helicopters, uh, it must, someone must be having an exciting time in Leighton, I should think. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, you're travelling over, like, that's the thing as well, you're travelling through everybody's pop culture mm-hmm. as well if you're travelling across America because, like, I mean, I dream, like, it's one of the things I'd love to do yeah. is travel across America. Part of that is because America's an amazingly diverse country uh, and and is, is such a big, but but the other part of it is is yeah it's a big part of our cultural heritage across mm. the whole world at this moment in time because and like so many films that I watched growing up you know so many series or whatever are all involving people driving across America yeah you know, no entirely archetypal. yeah and, and and all of that stuff it's like I mean it's a really obvious cliched thing to talk about now but you know walking around New York and Chicago and San Francisco it's like you know it already right. you know exactly you walk around the corner and right in front of you is is a scene from Vertigo or right. something or a scene from Dirty Harry or you know and you go oh yeah wow that's that's that thing and it really is like walking around you know walking around your childhood memories it, right. it really is even in that in, in a really sort of you know like often when you come across things that you have a vague idea of they don't actually turn out to be like the thing that you imagine there would be they're either bigger or smaller or or, or whatever but no, you know, you you're walking around the place as if you as if you know it, you know, right. because you've because you you're so familiar with the culture as well. And it's interesting because obviously, I mean, we don't think you know, there's we could bore on about this for ages. But you know, <laughs> most of the bad stuff in the world also comes out of you know sure. American culture as well. And so it's interesting. I think it's 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 good to you know a lot of I, I know a lot of people who would not go right literally would say well I, you know i i don't like the concept of america i will not go there and it just seems so ridiculous yeah i mean i think i i i find that 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 idea generally problematic in the i've got a lot of close american friends and mm. uh, i feel like uh when people get like really aggro about americans mm-hmm. Instead of about America, mm-hmm. that's 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 for me is the problem. Like the, it's not the, even about America; it's about the current right, American exactly. political system, and that political system might have been like that since the sixties right. or something, or or whatever. But you know, the actual idea, and and again, we could dig into how the actual founding ideas of America are problematic as well. Really, right, for a true, lot of people, sure. you know, it's a great idea for a very small 
percentage of the population. Of course it is. But even so, that idea, the idea that they, you know, founded America to escape religious persecution and <laughs> committed a genocide and all that, but, you know, we'll just yeah, push, exactly. push that under the carpet that's for a the minute. Big, that's the biggest but, problem, right? <laughs> but, you know, slavery, let's just push that under the carpet for a moment. But but the idea that you could do that, that you would, fa- you would found a country on explicitly Enlightenment principles, supposedly, I think is... It's an amazing idea, whether or not in practice it really worked. You could debate until the cows go home, but I think the idea that they explicitly set out to do that is amazing. I yeah, think cause, it's because I guess they had a chance to make a new thing. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's, it's quite rare that you get to do that without. Well, there was a war, but you mm-hmm. know what I mean. It's, it's it's rare that you get to a point where you you can do that. Um, it's rarely done without. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so so yeah, they did have that chance. And I think there's a lot to be said for the, the American Constitution. I, I really do, but I also agree with your, your with the massive caveats that, mm-hmm. that are too big uh, to be caveats. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, unfortunately, the American Constitution becomes the caveat yeah. to the big terrible genocide <laughs> and slavery. Right? Yeah, of course it does. And and then you know, and then after that, a lot of interesting choices around that that Constitution, which are problematic. But <clears throat> but that's the thing. I mean, I I, I feel like uh, to, to 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 get to, to write off a massive amount of people and a massive amount of country mm-hmm. uh, based around, you know, uh, st- th- this kind of stuff is, is, is problematic in itself. Like, I think that the, the Brits like to say the Americans, like, we like to have a go- like, sneer at Americans, mm-hmm. but we're not any better, really. No, we just have not. less political power now. And in fact, who are the Americans? Uh, a lot of them are us, yeah, right? We, <laughs> I mean, you know, they had a lot of them descended, certainly. From, yeah, it's from, just from the, the, the power elite moved from one place to another, right? And But again, there are lots of ways in which... I don't want us to end up talking about this, really. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's lots of ways in which... You know, working class people are all uh, uh, a distance from that as well. You right. Know, there are. I'm still, you know, a, a middle-aged white man with all the privilege that entails, of course. But I come from a working-class background, and and there's a lot of ways in which working-class people have been screwed by the by the people in power over the generations as well. Yeah. And so I think you can you can one step remove yourself from that elite that controls the polit- you know the, the the political entity of of a country i think i mean it needs to be examined obviously but you know at the same time yeah it's a complicated question isn't it like mm. uh, like it's it's it's, it's interesting you say that there there are privileges that come with many many things but at the same time it's important to sort of like while you're checking your privilege if you like to also also remember that that you're not responsible for the actions of generations ago and you're mm-hmm. certainly for example as you say if you're a working class uh, man you're not responsible for the for the decisions that that etonian men yeah. have made on your on your behalf for, for centuries and, and and at your at your disadvantage as well it's it's i mean and and particularly now that we have no empire like my, my dad's friends got this idea that, that the, the last colony is the working class in this country like we've, <clears throat> we've we've not got any anybody else to sort of like mistreat so we're sort of like treating the working classes as if they are our other and you see that with the way that people related to the riots in lots of ways like mm-hmm. it was like, it was an interesting moment i'm not i'm not defending the behavior of anybody but it's a, it's an interesting moment that we're in where we're looking at the working classes as if they're kind of subhuman sometimes but, through the through the tabloids i think that's interesting though as well because that also 
that includes obviously huge immigrant communities as right, well, very true. which I think are so often left out of any a discussion about the working class. Right? Right. When you say the when really we say here talking about the working class, people, people think, think of, of like chaps, yeah, right? right? That's the that's the sort of parlance for it for it nowadays, and. No doubt, you know, when you think of like the BNP and, you know, and the um, English Defence League and stuff, they no doubt think of themselves as like proudly working class and standing up for the working class. And that's where that becomes so problematic because, you know, anybody that's not got very much money and is done down by the powers that be is the working class. Yeah. And all of those working classes need to, to well, get anywhere. Is... They all need to band together and be on the same side well there is the, I mean there is a, a certain branch of anarchist thought uh, that, that says you know the working class is, is everybody that works yeah. and the people who own stuff at the, the top they're the they, so they don't see it as the as the three different classes mm-hmm. they see it as <laughs> the working class and the, the people in power and they're the only two def- distinctions that they make and I, I'm, I'm inclined towards that way of thinking no I think that's absolutely right and it, you see that so many times in this sort of like you know the the demonization of you know sort of eastern European immigrants who are coming over here and taking our jobs yeah which has always been the cry when that was sort of immigration from the you know commonwealth you know the west indies or whatever back in the 50s and 60s the idea was always like somebody else is coming over here and taking our jobs and actually you know if you look at it's a terrible history of the union movement in this country actually yeah. be you know stop wanting to stop you know colonial immigration and and actually when the idea always should have been saying hey guys who are coming over here and picking strawberries or whatever for, for less money than we are we've been through this let's all band together and try and get your wages right up. you know that should be right the, exactly right that really should be the idea but never happens divide and conquer and all that so it's interesting i mean that's an interesting thing so like again like the fact that you are from a working class background is another kind of interesting contradiction with sort of some of the places you find yourself in mm-hmm. because i guess now the kind of people that you interview are generally not working class i would imagine no right? well because, no. They're, because they're published authors yeah and i mean that I, that, that there's a lot more barriers to I meet a lot of people that are you know Oxbridge educated right. and private school educated and, and things like that which is interesting I mean I don't even have I don't even have a degree I left school at 16 and um, had three O levels and worked in a bakery for the first five years of my working life and towards the end of that sort of put myself through night school to get a couple of A levels um, went to university but then dropped out of university two years later because I got offered a job um, actually, still the, the job I'm still doing now, right? Uh, like 15 years later, and so yeah, so I, I don't even have a degree, and yeah, it's that's very interesting. But I think, you know, I, I I meet a lot of incredibly intimidatingly intelligent people, but also I obviously meet a lot of people who have got Oxford educations who seem stupid to me, you know, and yeah. I don't think it necessarily yeah, yeah. means that people are more intelligent in that respect but the obvious thing is like I you know, entirely lack confidence you know I don't know again it's an obvious thing to say it's a, it's a cliche about a private education but you see that really often in successful people and people that are privately educated that they, they basically not just know the right contacts but just know the know the right way to they're behave. trained to rule I yeah. think that's the thing and, and it's, it's an interesting thing because I mean similarly to you I mean I'm not 
I can't really claim to be working class, but I'm I'm not Oxford ed- educated, and uh, I d- my friends were working class, if you like. Some of my best friends are working class, um, and and so I mix with um, people who are, are Oxford educated, <laughs> and I'm and I I I find that 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 they're nice people right yeah and course, a lot yeah. of them and uh but they have these kind of keys i always think think of it as the like the keys to the culture like they <laughs> have the thing that when they speak people listen in a certain kind of way and i noticed that i have that in some areas because i'm mid right i'm middle class <laughs> enough that i can sort of click in on the phone to somebody make, yeah. making a complaint i can click in uh to this thing my, and my dad does it really obviously i hear him put his kind of posh voice on uh when he gets on the phone and he and, he, and, he, and it's kind of subconscious he doesn't know he's doing it i think mm-hmm. but it that's that's what gets him what he wants right and he doesn't know he's doing it that's privilege mm-hmm. right and it's w- working right there um but but like I also know people like I, I I know a guy who's been on Getting Better Equated quite a few times who was you know private school educated like uh, very posh background but ended up becoming homeless right mm-hmm. and uh, be, you know becoming a drug addict and all of those things but even then he still had that voice that could I think get things for him in ways that some people couldn't I'm not trying to put down his hardships mm-hmm. but I mean I think it's fascinating how class kind of even when whatever class you start off in you can damage yourself you can mm-hmm. damage your life you can get to the lowest places but there's still it's still there like it still interferes in certain ways yeah. where some people just have more of an opportunity than others it's yeah really I, I think it, it must always be whatever situation you're in some sort of benefit and i'm not you know i'm not necessarily knocking it and wanting to overthrow it i would have done it myself right. given the opportunity right. i would love to have because I, I just love learning. I love books. And I love I love education. Well, that's the thing. You're in. You 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 started a podcast or a radio show rather about the Enlightenment ideas. Yeah, I mean, but it, you're someone who didn't go to university. No, that's it's entitled an autodidact. You know, and I've always read. I've always read voraciously since as long as my one best thing the best thing my parents gave me you know we grew up quite poor in a council estate but the one thing they gave me from a very young age was they taught me to read really early so all through my early school life I was like reading at a much higher level than than everybody else around me and so I've just never not been reading three or four books at a time since I was like four years old or something right and and in fact I I went to, I said I was at university for two years. I went and did um, uh, a classic cliched media studies degree, right? right. I, studied, I did <laughs> film studies. Um, and I was obsessed with film. And when I went to the university and you go in on the first day and you get given a list of books that are the big thick textbooks that you need to go out and buy from the university shop, I had already got them all and read them all because I was obsessed with right. that by the time I got there. So actually... I didn't go to a particularly great university and we had a lot of young teachers and one of the reasons I ended up dropping out was because I thought I was wasting my time because I wasn't learning anything and in fact, and this sounds a terrible thing to say, but I often thought I knew more than the people that were teaching me because right. I'd already, you know, I'd, I'd already immersed myself and, yeah. in it for years and years and years and years. So that's, again, that's what comes, at, that's where Little Atoms comes out of really is that, you know, my entire life I've just wanted to learn and learn and learn and read more and read more and read more and I don't think that'll ever stop so given the opportunity I would have had 
the best education I could possibly have. Right. You know, just never did have those opportunities. And it's a shame, obviously, that the best... I wouldn't even necessarily be against private schools or, you know, fee-paying schools or something if there was a means by which more people from underprivileged backgrounds If it was could, meritocratic, yeah, if it was, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly, I think... I mean, I, I still have a lot of problems with the idea of meritocracy, but at the same time, sure. I, 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 it's better than, than what we've got now. Yeah, and I'm sure what <laughs> I've just said was ridiculous in that if there was any form of proper meritocracy, there would be no need for people yes, to pay right. for their education right, because right. we would all have, you know, a, a, a classical free education to to a high level that would be that would obviously be ideal and I also think in some respects that not being in that situation you, I can't really blame people for paying for their kids to go to private education so it seems like a huge sacrifice of an entire generation yeah. of people to say okay the reason the way to get rid of these things is we're all not going to we're all not going to use them well, exactly. this. it's a really complicated thing because having been to a comprehensive school and has experienced extreme levels of uh, bullying in that co- comprehensive school. <clears throat> I can't help but look at those places as as much as I a- approve of the idea of a comprehensive <laughs> school. My experience has told me that they're a bit, a little bit like horrific prison environments yeah, that we're my putting school children. Was very in. similar. I mean, I've never. I <clears throat> luckily, I was very lucky not to suffer any form of bullying or anything. I was always, you know, oh, I never had any problem making friends, and I would always end up being friends with like troublemakers and things as well which probably <laughs> yeah, right, right. probably helped it does help. not good, but it didn't help my education you know it didn't right. help me to get a decent education obviously in the end troublemakers but, were the people who were always nice to me yeah like i think growing up through school like the people who were nice to me the people who were decent and saw my mm-hmm. humanity right were always people who would would be given asbos mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it's weird it's an interesting thing it makes me i i don't like the way that troublemakers are sort of considered a written off you know so much but anyway sorry but no I, I would not wish on my worst enemy the education I had in the sort of you know from 11 to from 11 to 16 it right. was just uh, absolutely terrible and you know that was a, a very 70s comprehensive school and yeah I'm not saying that the, the the alternative to that would be for me to have gone to a you know a very expensive fee pay in school or something but I did need to go to a school where I was told what to do, do you know what I mean? And, and there wasn't. I mean, the school I went to, the classes would be disrupted by people fighting and right. then the entire school would be fighting and chairs would be thrown yeah, that's, and that was you know, teachers to my were beaten school. up. And, yeah, we and had, we had uh, I think, our chemistry teachers, like we had four in a row, all had nervous breakdowns mm-hmm. and left. And they were all young. You know, they came, they were young, they were hardly older than the kids. They were working with Bunsen burners. They're definitely going to like have a nervous breakdown in six months. Like It's, it's horrific what the, those poor guys were going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I, the classes were... Uh, that you know, as soon as you can sense any weakness, and you can you sort of learn a lot about kind of the brutalness of humanity. Mm-hmm. I think in those kind of environments, how 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 crowds can go, you know. Yeah, and as I said, that's not you know a a very good and well funded <laughs> and you know dedicated staff, and you know in a ideal comprehensive school no doubt would be amazing yeah well the thing is that comprehensive schools aren't equal anyway because some of them are really nice and great like my my girlfriend jen she went to a school where she basically had a very nice supportive Mm -hmm. middle class comprehensive school just from the catchment Mm -hmm. uh, area which was not the case for mine yeah 
Well, I think that's really interesting because I think, you know, I've, I've, I've grown up reading op-eds in The Guardian or whatever by people writing about the evils of private schools and how terrible it is, you know, and how, how you know, you should send your kids to a comprehensive school. And those are the exact people, and some sort of media elite, to sound like Rod Little for a moment, <laughs> who, um, you know, who get private, but get good education by house price, you know, by moving into a, a decent area and sending their kids to the to the best comprehensive school in the area. Right. In a, in, and, and that excludes other people. So they have a nice clean conscience of saying they've sent their kids to a decent school, but ultimately they've bought that education in exactly the same way as anybody else has, just by house, just through house price. Right, so, I, I, I agree. And that's, that's clearly, that's clearly, I, hypocrisy is one of the, is I, I hate hypocrisy more than I, you know, than I hate the uh, the evils of the world. I'd rather people be honest about <laughs> no, I, what I, they want to achieve. I know what you mean. Fill some water. I, do, I know what you mean. I think I, I'm similar on that. If you look on Wikipedia about uh, little atoms, which mm-hmm. will tell you something about how little research I do, I just uh, do a tiny yeah. bit. There's not much on Wikipedia. But what it says is that the show is, it considers your show to be uh, primarily like about science, rationalism, and atheism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mention books, which I think you should, that we should get some editors on there to stick <laughs> books in. I don't think I don't know who did that, and it's not been edited for for ages and ages. But um, yeah, I mean that's so that's true. But again, the book thing initially. Now I will explicitly say it's a show about books. Yeah. But then it was a show about it. those things that we just happened to do about books because, yeah. as I said earlier, it was easier. It was easier to do that, and then it's become because it's at that point it was we could explicitly say this is a show about the Enlightenment and about rationalism and scepticism and atheism. Yeah. And then we had to start, you know, you get to the point where you've run out of those people to yeah. interview. Okay. Or you, you've had them on enough time. So you want to try and expand some stuff. And then you get somebody on to talk about history or something. And, oh God, never mind a novelist. And then you get loads of emails from people who are into scepticism saying, whoa, I don't see how this fits into your. Yeah, because that's quite a demanding community to start a show for, right? And so, and then, of course, not only that, but suddenly they were. I mean, we were one of the first. There was one or two, one definitely, possibly a second skeptic podcast that started before us. Um, and we were sort of aimed at that community, but then suddenly there was like forty or fifty skeptic podcasts. So I started thinking, well, we've got with a K. Yeah, exactly that old thing. <laughs> so we had to sort of think, okay, well, we need to not distance ourselves from that because still we still like that thing and like those people and all of that. But you don't want to hear forty interviews with what a person in that involved in that world who's got a new book out. So we need to. I still want us to be the you know the 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 best of those shows. I want us to be the sort of I wasn't nearly said brand leader. What a terrible! <laughs> God knows where that came from. But you know, I I want to always be one step ahead. Yeah. You know, so start changing it about a little bit. But then suddenly, if you're getting in people that don't fit into the tight remit, 
you can't say anymore, well, it's a show about these things, because someone can always say, yeah, but what about... And what about you're, that? You're all, you're all, whatever you do, though, you're always cursed. Like, the, the, this show in itself is, 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 is a case in point. Like, getting better acquainted, my tag, my, one of my taglines <laughs> is, uh, there are lots of shows about famous people. This show yeah. is for the rest of us, right? Well, now I've had kind of famous <laughs> people on here and there. People could start, like, giving me a lot of grief for that. Although my argument is, you know, famous people are still people. I will treat them as if they're... But the, the people that you know as well, you know, if yeah. you, you need to, as long as you keep interviewing people that right. you actually know, exactly. rather than just randomly approaching people exactly. that you don't know, then it remains, you know, as your life changes, then you're still going to interview the people that you know and people that but are around you, you and people that... But you even, you inter- interrogate, because this is what you do when you do a show for, for a long time, you start to sort of like want to push things as, as far as yeah. you can. It becomes so a stranger. Like, what does no mean? Yeah. Like how? Like how? Are there different ways that I could know someone? Like I yeah. had Musa Rockwonga on. The first time I met him was when he did this show. Oh, okay. Uh, but I, I, I love that interview. But, right, but I know him through Twitter. Yeah. I feel like I know him. Yeah, sure. He didn't know me at all until we had this brief yeah. interaction, but on Twitter. But 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 yeah, like and that's it. So the idea of what no is like it's it's becoming like a something I want to push mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. But 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 anyway, like. What I was, what I guess, what I was, why I brought up the fact that your show began <laughs> in one way uh, and has and has has changed is that I was I was interested to sort of like know you know yeah so when you when you when you first came to it those were the the pressing concerns I guess of of, of what you were thinking about at that time yeah it was there you was and, two the things the show yeah so I I met. Richard Sanderson, who is the person I started the show with through a mutual friend because my friend Scott was on Richard's Resonance show. So Richard also already had a show on Resonance FM. And in fact, he was on the board of directors and was part of the organisation that set it up. It's who you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's entirely, that is why I got on there. Right. Because we met in the pub after Scott had been on Richard's show and we immediately hit it off. And in fact, you know, we, we were both reading the same book we both put the same book in our bags and, and we immediately hit it's it like off a and, yeah. <laughs> and, and um and became friends well you it gets even better it, it, you won't even believe the the, the day that the, uh, the the show finally happened and um and so we were friends we became firm friends and we would go out drinking and for about a year i guess probably about a year i knew him before the show actually started and a common refrain in the pub would be richard would say oh He'd finished his show, so he, the show stopped. The season of his show stopped, and he's got lot. He's a musician. He's got lots of other musical projects on, and all this time, his wife and he were trying to adopt children as well, which finally happened. But it took about took a few years. Yeah, it's complicated. And, um, sometimes. and so he would always say in the pub, basically, resonance are on my back to do another show. I don't, I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know. How I've got too much work on. And, and stuff like that, but you know, I've, I've sort of got to do it, and um, and I'd, I'd idly say, oh, you know, I'd love to do something like that. That'd be nice. Perhaps we could do something together. And we'd go, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Perhaps one day we would do that. Um, and then it, you know, it, months went by and nothing happened and nothing happened, and then it was July the seventh, two thousand and five. We both work in London at that time, and the bombs went off on the tube on the way that we were both commuting to work I had to walk across most of London to, uh, we lived in oh, Lewisham Jesus. at the time and walked from Canary Wharf into to Holborn to where I worked 
not knowing at that point, apart from the fact that the entire tube hit, I was on the on the DLR and got thrown off that, not knowing what was going on in the tube, and actually just as I got within sort of spitting distance of work, actually heard, which I didn't know at the time, but turned out to be the bomb on the bus in the Jesus. Russell Square or, or whatever it was, and then got into work and discovered what had gone on. In fact, to be fair, no, I'd, I'd noticed what was going on from a Sky report in a TV shop or something, in an electrical shop or something, a bit earlier than that. Got to work, immediately did what I always do and got in contact with my friends anyway, but, all, but you know, to go, are well, you all right? Did you go to work? Is you know, And you do that sort of like half, are you okay? But half like, you know, big news event on the internet isn't this exciting right, thing, right, do you know right. what I mean, as you do, which is a horrible thing to say, but that is what we no, do, it's, right? It's, it's accurate. And, um, <laughs> and so, oh, you know, where are you? What's going on? What's going on? That sort of thing. And, um, and I, mean, I was just, Richard worked just around the corner, he worked for PRS at the time, and we were chatting away, and then we decided that to beat the rush, we would go, and we went to the George pub on um, the, the one with the um, the old coaching right. inn on um, near London Bridge, basically sat there, the, the trains from London Bridge Station, which we needed to get because I lived in Lewisham at the time and he lived nearby, weren't running. So we basically just sat in the garden. It was a really sunny day and we got drunk in the afternoon. And so there was, I didn't mention the other catalysts. So one of the catalysts about the um, the scepticism thing was that at that time, the biggest show on Residence um, was, I'm not going to be able to remember what it's called, it's still going, uh, but it was about UFOs. It was a show about UFOs and esoteric stuff like that, which used to really annoy Richard because he hated all of that stuff and was involved with residents. So he used to think it was a sort of embarrassment to him that the most popular show was about something that he didn't like. So he wanted to make an antidote. Yeah. So the one idea was that we... we, the, The idea we always talked about was making a show that was a sort of antidote to that. But then this thing happened and as we got drunker and drunker in the pub garden... We basically built the terrorist atrocity that had just happened in our, you know, in our own fair city into this sort of, you know, this sounds such bullshit now, but you know, some sort of explicit attack on, you know, enlightenment values and you know, and all of that sort of nonsense. And and so we said, and that's when we said, right, let's do it. We are going to do this now. We'll pitch residents an idea, which we did a couple of days later, and they said, yeah, fine, great idea. Started in September. You got six shows. And so that's why it had that explicit, you know, scepticism and rationalism message, idea, theme when we first started it. And then, as I said, over the next couple of years or so, that gradually dissipated. And the the, the concept of scepticism now is quite a kind of politicised and problematic. Yeah, it's got very right? messy over the last few years. There's been a lot of sort of weird infighting and schisms and stuff and... And Richard Dawkins has kind of gone from being like a figurehead of the movement to I feel like almost an embarrassment for the movement now. Yeah, I mean, I think still his books are still held up high, but I think his his public persona is really not doing. Yeah, I think he just needs to stay off Twitter. Is all it right, is. Right, right. If Richard Dawkins did not go on Twitter, he would still have the his well-deserved reputation. I think, and I think that's a classic example of. You know, the whole point about... One of the points about scepticism should be, you know, be sceptical of, of everything and everybody. Like I was talking before about, you know, not being particularly well-educated and being underconfident. And the reason I identify with the philosophical idea of scepticism is because I don't bloody know, 
right? right? I'm constantly doubting my own thoughts on everything. If I have an opinion about something, be that any political event or, you know, some world history thing, I'll immediately start thinking, oh, God, yeah, but that's not... No, I just don't trust my own beliefs in anything. Right. So I'm sort of naturally think that you should be suspicious of everything. And I don't mean that suspicious of everything into the, you know, to the... To the um, conspiracy theory end where you know you can't trust anybody or anybody but i just think every we should interrogate yeah every idea yeah, that yeah. there is right and that can only be a healthy thing yeah. and i think that's what skepticism should be about and when anything becomes a movement of a lot of people there's going to be a lot of people with lots of different opinions who have one vague thing in common which is that they're all into a thing but the fact that you're all, in, all into one thing makes you somehow think that actually everybody should believe everything all the same. So yeah. when anybody shows any sort of heresy, Difference. which heresy. is what it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's splits and there's arguments. And that's what happens in any grouping. You know, yeah. I've been involved in you know left-wing politics most right. of my life, and that's just one schism after another. You know, that's the stu- that's the exact story of that. that is my, everybody my, my my experience when yeah. I've been involved with left-wing? Everybody politics, falls yeah. out eventually. So that's sort of what's happened with the sketch movement but this idea that yeah there are people like Dawkins who are like heroes or whatever is something that scepticism should be immediately suspicious of in my view right so i think his ongoing behavior demonstrates why that is and i don't think any of that takes away the fact that you know Dawkins has written some of the best popular books about biology yeah. ever written and you know was a serious scientist at one point but now he is that terrible thing of like a public persona not i wouldn't even say like a public intellectual but like you know a media personality he sort of believed his own hype as well that's part of the problem he sort of sees himself as as being the final word on things and if you start seeing yourself that way you really leave yourself in a position where you can really undermine things because yeah. he, he isn't challenging his own class, race, privilege, all of those things. He's not into that at all. And any time anyone asks him to, to consider that, he, he kind of is outraged by yeah. it. At the same time, I'm not saying that the people who... You know, that there are schisms in all sides of this debate, but, right? But it's also <laughs> the medium. It's also the medium, isn't it? Because no doubt if you sat in a pub... If we if we were sat in this garden with Richard Dawkins now... Right. You know, he would say something that you found... Like, we're having this conversation, yeah, right? I, oh, you I'd might say something... Him, and it would be a perfectly... I, I've never had a, a bad conversation, really, on, on mic. I think that's one of the things about talking rather than shouting. But what I mean is, <laughs> you, you know, we're having this conversation now. I might say something that you find objectionable but the next moment I'll say something that immediately puts that into context and explains it or I'll say something that makes you think oh perhaps he was joking or I'll say something that that you know Right. You forget that I've just yeah, said, yeah, you know, yeah. I might say nine really nice things and, and one bad thing. As soon as you post something on Twitter, everybody hates you. You know, yeah. it's like completely out of context. That's so really I think true. I'm not saying that excuses people who are, you know, who, who get into trouble on social media. But I think it's such a it's like, you know, you know, it's like the most, you know, the joke, you know, you fuck one sheep. Yeah, right? right. It's like you, in normal life, like thinking your friends, your family, your normal human interactions with people, people are saying stupid things and yeah. unforgivable things and ridiculous things all the time. And but that's 
all of that stuff is smoothed out by the normalness of like interactions and people just rubbing up against each other and living together. But you put that thing on a big statement on 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 the internet, and that's it. That's the thing you believe yeah. forever. Like yeah. this one sentence is the thing that you become known about. Yeah. Right. And that's in, that's insane. Right? That's surely not a way. That's not that, something. I don't know what's good. Somebody's got to give. We can't go on like that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Sorry, I don't that know. was a bit ranting. I don't know what's going to... Well, I, I don't mind ranting. I don't know. I, also, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where it's going where, to... Where things are going to go. I see so many positive things and, and also really negative things happening at the same time. Yeah. But often uh, the same people, <laughs> like you said. Yeah, I, almost, exactly. Like the, the same people are being negative and like problematic and excellent online it's almost as if people were complicated isn't it but you You don't have the context online like you say so you so it's really hard to work out where where all that will end it's almost as if people can hold two opposing opinions about a thing as well (laughs) you know like i said i i constantly interrogating myself about what i actually believe and will often think not say but you know think unthinkable things i'm not saying i'm not stupid enough to write those things down and publish right But, you know, I, I think we should question everything. I think we should question any idea, any any belief. And that often involves thinking some things. You know, you might be just lying there, daydreaming, thinking about something. And then suddenly you catch yourself thinking the most terrible thoughts. Right. That might be just me. I might have just no, I think that's, to something. I, I think that's a really, pretty common really human experience. Yeah, like, you know, and you I know. think the, the fact that everybody... I think, the prob- I think there's a big problem with the fact that people, uh, they think if they have a terrible thought... They sort of obsess about how terrible mm-hmm. that was, and actually, we all just have terrible thoughts that run yeah, through our I heads. I think so. That's what brains don't act do. on those terrible right, thoughts. Exactly. Perhaps don't voice them to any other human exactly. beings, those and are both you'll be all right. Reasonable right? approaches. That's like, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I think you know when, when you say like, would you question atheism then? Um, I think atheism as a you know as a thing like a, 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 a way to live or a movement or... Yeah, is inherently questionable. Yeah, right. of course. Because it isn't. It's just an absence of God, absence of a belief in God. Right. right. That's... that's all it is, right? There's to, to be... To say, you know, I live my life as an atheist and these are the beliefs that I hold. <laughs> you know, there is... There's, there's humanism, which I guess is some form... Is a sort of belief system, which is a... A different thing. I mean, I have a lot of friends heavily involved in that movement, right, some of the yeah. leaders of humanism. But even that, you know, I f- find sort of faintly ridiculous. It's just basically being a nice person. Just don't <laughs> be a bad person. And actually, a lot of people would say, you know, a, a nice form of most religions are about just not being a, right. a, a bad person. Right. That's that's all it is. So I think when you say, would you question atheism? I don't. I would not question. I would not question whether there was a whether there was a god or not. Right. That's something that I found inherently ridiculous since the point where I was old enough to think about it. So you we brought up religious then? No. 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 Well, my parents would not claim to be atheists. I mean, if you actually asked them, they would probably say they believed in God in the way that everybody did, but there was absolutely no we never went to church or anything like that ever and there was no religion in the house and they were not actively religious they were just normal and so I went to a school where there was like an you know assembly and all and all that sort of and I think that's interesting because I do have a very sort of I know this is a bit rubbish but a very sort of well it never did me any harm view to a lot of the sort of 
that religious daily stuff. worship yeah. and and thought thought for the day and um, it's just sort of a part of the background culture I think that we grew up in be it that bells on a who who can complain about church bells on a Sunday morning do you know what I mean that seems like but people do <laughs> right? it seems it seems faintly ridiculous and yeah I I, I was not brought up. My parents never put any effort into making me believe in God, but you just pick it up from the from the culture that that is the way things are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's how the world is. And then at the point where I was probably about nine years old, where I actually thought about it, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a really a really grim story, um, which I like to tell sometimes. But this is a confessional podcast, isn't it? I did have I had a um, a brief flirtation with I don't know why I don't even know where why it happened or where it came from, but I just I, I it may have been something to do with the fact that actually I didn't I didn't like the dark when I was a kid and had trouble sleeping so I started praying so I had a, a probably about a month or two where I was praying I say I was a kid I was obviously old enough to do what comes up next. Um, so, yeah, I must, must have been about 10 or 11 years old. And, I, and I'd already got to the point where I'd thought about, you know, seriously about whether or not there really was a God or not. But I decided to pray. And I had this prayer, which I can even actually still remember a little bit of. I asked God to bless, or no, to, to, to look after everybody in the world, which I think was probably a bit ambitious, even yeah. for God. Um, and various things look after my mum and dad look after all you know my brothers and sisters and all my friends and everyone else in the world is how it went and clearly he's got not even God has not got the time in his hands to do all of that and then um I was praying and I opened my eyes and my dad was standing at the bedroom door watching me with a sort of interested smile on his face thinking oh that's nice you know and I was absolutely mortified now about three weeks earlier uh, my mum had barged into the bathroom and caught me masturbating. Right. And being caught by my dad praying was ten times worse. <laughs> it was so absolutely mortifying. And I immediately stopped doing it, and, and that was it. And it was just because I was embarrassed that my dad had caught me, and it was really awful. Wow. And that was it. And I, I I never prayed again. And so, yeah, so since I've been, since I've been old enough to, to, to think about it, I've, and I, I guess I, I wouldn't have even known there was such a thing as an atheist until much later. Right. But yeah, I just I just thought, well, this is it's like it was like Santa Claus, you know. Well, this is a thing that you believe in when you're a kid, <laughs> and then one day there's this sort of not even semi-traumatic, but there's one day when you believe in this thing, and then the next day you've found out it isn't true. Do you know what I mean? Somebody's yeah. told you there isn't a Santa Claus. Right, right, right. Right, and that's it. A kid at school has said to you, there isn't a Santa Claus, and you, you, you perhaps might be upset about it, but then you go, oh, yeah, it's obvious. Christ, you know, how well, does that work? I think, does, yeah, there's, how does that I think work? there's loads of different reactions. I don't think I ever really believed in Father Christmas. Like, I, did, I don't even think I really believed... I mean, I believed in everything, so I believed in nothing in a way. I, I, I believed in stories, so yeah. I, I was happy to absolutely believe in any story that was being told me for the duration of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had a like belief in, in Father Christmas, like a genuine belief. But I know people who have and were devastated by that realisation. Mm-hmm. And other people, yeah, who... 
yeah, you know, who have, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you basically find out your parents are lying to you, but at the same time they're doing it for love. Yeah. So it's complicated. And, and you see, uh, that's, and this is, I don't think this is necessarily restricted to the, um, to the sceptic movement, but there are a lot of people that talk about not tell, oh, I wouldn't tell my kids about Father Christmas because it is inherently lying to them. And I think that's bullshit. I think I think that's ridiculous. I think it's a, it's an amazing story yeah, that you that you weave story, right. that you tell that thing. And actually, you say you know people. I don't want to question anybody's experience, but you say, "Oh, I know people who were traumatized by finding yeah, out." Yeah, I don't. Think but you know, you're traumatized for half an right hour, word. right? I don't think you're a kid, is the right, word, right? Whether or not you, you know, you, even if it's like, you know, I was a kid that you know would get the odd slap around the legs, you know, when I when I was naughty or whatever, and it's like. You're upset about it for a bit, and then you forgot about it. Do you yeah, know what I mean? And like sure. Santa Claus would be the same. You know, somebody says, "Oh, there's no Santa." Yeah, you'd probably be like incredibly upset about it for a couple of hours or a couple of days, yeah. and then you forget about I it. I mean, if somebody, you're right, and traumatized is definitely the wrong word. I mean, th- 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 if somebody was traumatized by that experience, there would be a lot of other reasons why sure. that re- <laughs> why that revelation was a trauma- yeah. traumatic event. I mean, it's it's easy to see all of these things in like just just that moment, but there's mm. the, the, there's all of the other parts of the person's life that yeah. creates trauma. Yeah, and trauma is definitely the wrong word. It's one of those words that that that, that yeah. Um, I think the, has, this has, whole... a, has a like it's one of those words that has a a real meaning mm. and a very like easygoing meaning like crazy or mad or whatever. There's like a big meaning behind those words, and then there's like the casual tossing it off in a conversation sure. thing. So I didn't. But yeah, I think that thing, you know, I think the whole not telling your kids about Father Christmas is one of those things that gives the sort of rationalist movement a bad name. I <laughs> yeah. Right. I do. It just seems like joyless and yeah. you know not particularly. I'm sure there's, you know, people will counter that with particularly good reasons as to why it's a bad idea, but to me it just seems like just taking one of the... It's better, I would suggest it's better for kids to have that belief and joy for a few years yeah. and then be upset for a few days they and then get up with their lives. about life, don't they? Yeah. Through that experience of believing in something and then like having that belief taken dies. away. Right, I think, yeah, that, exactly. No, I mean, that's, it's a good comparison. Life's tough. Santa doesn't exist and I've just flushed your hamster down the top. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, but I mean, I do think that those things are important things to have in like life experience. When we think about important lessons kids learn, it's not all positive lessons. There's yeah. some negative lessons that people have got to learn to grow up and to be a part of the world. <laughs> but yeah, um, speaking of which, being a part of the world, the la- the last question that I ask uh, everybody is: Do you have anything to plug? Um, have I not already plugged to death? A <laughs> little atoms and be the possibility that this weekend notwithstanding i might be doing more live show type stuff if you know if people let me yeah and where can they find those two things online um well actually that's a good question twitter probably twitter at little atoms obviously um little atoms is on littleatoms.com but that's a really terrible website i'm afraid um so i mean it's badly designed even though i sort of work in that sort of thing and um so itunes and all of that itunes or wherever you find yeah. podcasts you can go yeah, wherever things. you look for and resonance podcasts. fm of course um listen to resonance fm at 10:30 on a saturday morning if you're in london because that's when the show is on although i have to say that often the podcast will be 10 minutes longer than the radio show so you get extra stuff 
cool. And uh, yeah, so they, and they can we we said follow you can, they can follow you on Twitter. We've said that's that the main well. one. Follow me on Twitter. Cool. And <laughs> you you had the, the the right look on your face when you said that as well. Like like there's something about like oh, I have to, the, the the right thing to do is to tell them to say follow to follow me on Twitter. But at the same time, it's a slightly distasteful thing to do. And I I, I understand where you're coming from. I, it's sort of saying, look at me, isn't it? It's saying, yeah. look at me. And, and, and nobody wants to be the person saying, look at me. But then, you know, those people who went to public school in Oxbridge, they have no problem with saying, look at me. And that, that's the thing, isn't it? But also it was more <laughs> as well, because when you said, where can people find out about these things? It suddenly, occur- it suddenly occurred to me that there is no way for people to find out about these things. <laughs> Although the website, the, the Little Atoms show does have a website. Um, I don't advertise anything else on there, just food crapness and laziness so the only way really that people could possibly <laughs> find out if i was going to do something else would be me tweeting about it yeah well and and, and i guess you know if people want to who are listening want to book you uh, they should they should uh, they should give you give, get reach out to you on twitter and talk to you this is now. true yeah book me to do either panel discussion moderating or live interviews but more interestingly 15 minute science based I don't know what to call it because it would be insulting to people who do comedy and stand-up to call it those things because it's one of those things where I'll have notes and possibly a PowerPoint presentation and we'll be talking. It's like a funny lecture. Yeah. That I think, sort but that, of I think thing. That's, a, that's, that's a genre that's growing and growing and growing. Actually. It is. I think people do that, don't they? But at the same time, I don't really ever imagine that it would be something that I would do in like... Although the things like Zedless, Deadless was definitely a comedy gig. Yeah. Right? And Spot London was sort of a... Not a comedy gig. It was a sort of a comedy gig in a nice environment rather than a comedy club. And Geek Show Off was supposed to be a comedy gig but again they're all sort of comedy gigs where you're in a a nice well, all, welcoming supportive environment right and they're all they're all comedy gigs where then they're, they're all gigs where you can make people laugh people like that but yeah. there's no you don't have to make people laugh yeah so i mean i, I did geek show off and i enjoyed the opportunity to to, to talk about my you know my passion mm-hmm. um but at the same time, I knew that if the, it wouldn't matter if I made people laugh, so I felt I could do that easier. Like a comedy gig, it, something I'm also, scared of. Yeah, I mean, it's do. also a room where people are bought, people have already bought into the concept, sort right? Of thing, right? right. Like the idea that I could do one of these little, you know, amusing stories in a room where halfway through it, somebody just went, "This is shit, get off," <laughs> would be, you know, my worst. I, that's not going to happen, yeah. right? Like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. <laughs> However. Anyone out there that's got nice little, you know, nice storytelling or funny lecture type 15 minute slots, I would be, yes, please book me. I'm actually good. They they all went really well. Didn't it, Dave? It went well, didn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's good. I'm not selling myself (laughs) in any shape or form. Oh, I should say as well, it has been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and, 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 and thanks very much for doing the show. The last thing that I ask everybody to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Thank you very much for tolerating (laughs) Bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, 
It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.